This is um, one of the parts of, the, of a service, of a gathering, where oftentimes we'll talk about um, hearing from God or hearing um, from Scripture. And so I actually want to start today with a little bit of a listening exercise, okay? I'm gonna throw some sound effects at you and see if you recognize them, okay? And, and some of you will get these right away. Uh, some of you will have to have some help from your neighbor, but let's just see how we do, all right? So here's the first one. Yeah, law and order, I heard it over here. Got a law and order fan. I spent most of my lunch breaks in college watching Law and Order. So that kind of takes me back a little bit. These are going to go kind of fast. Here's the second one. Yeah, NBC. Those of you under 25 are like, what's that? It's NBC. Is that like Netflix bought Canada or something? It's NBC. Here's the next one. Yeah, the Mac. Really smart people. Get that one. Really, really smart people. And because we're, we're all about, you know, bridging bill or bridge builders here at Grace Point, here's the next one. Microsoft, yes, yes. Okay, this, one's a, this next one's a little bit harder. We're kind of reaching back a few years. Some of you will remember it. It's a little bit longer than some of them, but here's the next one. See if you can get it. saying it. So lost. Yes. Lost. I'm still lost from what that show is about. Right. Like, what was that? What was that? That's the title sequence from lost. Here's one that most of you will get. If, if you don't come talk to me after service, here it is. What was it? Netflix. It's okay to admit you watch Netflix in church. It really is. Netflix. Yes. Okay, we got two left. Here's the second to last one. This one's going to be really hard. Second to last one. Sounds like a thunderstorm, right? Is it just a normal Kansas thunderstorm? No. This is, this is actually called Castle Thunder. Um, it was um, created in 1931 for the movie Frankenstein. And ever since 1931... Lazy sound technicians have used this in movies and TV shows ever since. You've, you've heard it in comedies. You've heard it in horror movies. You've, if you watch Scooby-Doo, you hear it a lot. That's Castle Thunder, all right? And here's, here's the last one that we will listen to today. This one's hard. Really, really hard. It would have, would have sounded like a Monday morning to us, but it was actually Sunday for them. It was the day after Sabbath, where the, 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 the city was opening up again. People were flooding back into the market, moving back into the weekly rhythm. Jerusalem was going to be full this week because it was a special week. It was the week of the festival of Passover, and people were just flooding into Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem from a little village outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And he's going to make his way into Jerusalem on this first day of the week when, again, everybody's coming back into the city, except at one point, Jesus intentionally, strategically reaches back to an old prophecy in Zechariah and gets on a colt of a donkey. And we don't think it's that big of a deal, but these Jewish people knew exactly 
what he was doing because the prophecy in Zechariah said that the Messiah would enter the city on the colt of a donkey and, and, and they get the reference and they go bonkers. They go crazy. They get the reference. They're, they're cheering. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're placing these palm branches down on the ground. Some of them putting their coats on the ground and they start to scream this word that we've, he- we've heard on Palm Sunday over and over and over. Hosanna. Hosanna. God, save us. God, save us. And, and they're so desperately wanted Jesus to be a political answer to their problems. They would have been okay if he was a military answer to their problems. But Jesus knows these same people that are praising him in this moment, in adrenaline-laced moments later on in the week, will be the same people to condemn him. So as we begin Holy Week 2021, I want us to walk through these last few days of Jesus' life and see if we can't hear the different sounds from those events. They're not as obvious as Netflix. They're not as obvious as Law and Order. I don't have actual recordings of what happened, but if we'll pay attention, if we'll listen to, to this with more than our ears, we might just hear something new today. We might just hear something new from, from Holy Week. So if you got a Bible, got a mobile device, I'd love for you to find Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to start. Um, we're now at Thursday of Passover week. Um, Jesus has turned over the tables in the temple. That was Monday. Um, Judas has already decided to betray Jesus. They've had their last supper together, and now Jesus and the remaining 11 are in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? This is a favorite spot for Jesus to go and to pray. He's taken his inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, uh, to the side, and now he's praying um, because he knows what's ahead of him. Jesus knows what's coming, and that's where we'll pick it up. He's on his own in Mark 14, verse 35. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible... The hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Now, it would not have been out of the ordinary for a first century Jew to refer to God as Father, but nobody referred to him as Abba. And, and, and if you've been around the church, any church for any length of time, you probably know what that word means in Aramaic, but even knowing what it means, some of us are still a little uncomfortable approaching God with that word. Like, it, it doesn't mean father. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't even mean dad. It means daddy. Daddy. There's any other way. Daddy. Can, can, can you take this from me? Daddy, I don't want to go there. In the Old Testament, the idea of a cup um, stood for an assignment that was given to you by God. And Jesus is looking at the assignment that he's been given, and it's so vile. It's so terrible that he begins to cry. He begins to, to, to gag. He begins to sweat drops of blood. And we're not comfortable with this. Like we don't, we don't like Jesus being vulnerable. I mean, if you've been around, you know, people that, that you were, were authoritative in your life, Maybe it was a mom, maybe it was a dad, it was a teacher, it was a coach. The very first time you saw them be vulnerable, 
You weren't sure what to do with that. I still remember the first time I saw my dad cry. I'm just, what do we, what do we do with that? That's what we're seeing in the garden. Jesus, he's pleading, he's screaming, he's crying, he's sweating these drops of blood. Daddy, I don't want to do this. The garden, we hear the sound of doubt. We hear the sound of struggle. But this next part, this was never in question. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus isn't doing anything against his will. God isn't doing anything to him. Jesus is willingly going there, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the sound of surrender. Willing surrender. He wakes up his disciples. Judas betrays him with a kiss. He's arrested. He's taken through all kinds of illegal things throughout the night because, well, there's, there's really no other way to say it. The religious leaders just want him dead. They want him gone. And, but they don't have the power to execute him, so they'll have to work with Rome to make that happen. And, and through most of the trial, we talked about this in staff meeting a little bit this week, Jesus is silent. Like he, he, he doesn't speak, he doesn't respond, he doesn't refute, he doesn't answer. Think about this. The one who spoke the universe into existence is silent in the face of lies. He's silent. When he does finally break his silence, it's when they ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you him? Are you the son of the blessed one? And Jesus reaches back to this story in the Old Testament where, where Moses is in the burning bush and God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh. And Moses says, who am I supposed to say sent me? And what does God say? I am. Jesus says, I am not only the Messiah, I am God. I am on par with God. At which point, the chief priest tears his clothes. Talked about this a couple weeks ago in the Ecclesiastes series. This, in the ancient world, it's an expression of horror, of rage, of dismay. He's, he, he's not upset that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Many people before Jesus had done that. He's upset because Jesus has claimed to be on par with God, and he can't handle that. It was blasphemy to the chief priests. And he really, if he didn't already, he wants Jesus dead now. And before they get to that, they, they beat him, they mock him, they spit on him. This is the sound of outrageous injustice. They take him to Pontius Pilate, but they're not gonna emphasize the blasphemy part because Rome could care less about that. They're gonna emphasize Jesus as a political rebel. They're going to say that Jesus claims to be another king besides Caesar. He's a threat to Rome. That's how, they, that's how they play it. But see, Pilate's a savvy politician. He sees right through the conspiracy, and, and he can tell that this isn't about Jesus. This is about the religious leaders and their jealousy and their insecurity. And so Pilate comes up with a workaround. Pilate comes up with an idea. He's found a way around this. There was a tradition during the festival of Passover where one prisoner was released. And so Pilate thinks, I'm going to stack the deck so obvious that they have to pick Jesus to be released. I'm going to give them an either-or decision. I'm going to let the crowd pick who they want released. Barabbas, the known convicted murderer, 
or Jesus? Interesting name this convicted murderer has. Barabbas. You see it? Maybe you've never seen it before. What's the word there? Abba. Now you know what that word means. But the Aramaic word bar is son of. So Barabbas is the son of Abba. Pilate doesn't even know what he's saying. (laughs) Pilate doesn't even know the irony of the choice he's presenting to the people. Pilate is saying, do you want the son of Abba or do you want the son of God? And he thinks it's an obvious choice, but they're wrong. He's wrong. The crowd is stirred up and they demand the release of the murderer. And to protect his own political interests, to satisfy the crowd, we're told, he releases Barabbas and condemns the one true son of Abba to death. And what we're getting into now is the sound of torture. It's the sound of torture. The Gospel of Mark doesn't focus so much on the physical torture of Jesus as much as he does the spiritual agony that Jesus goes through. But we would be less than honest if we allowed our squeamishness to overlook this. We've talked about flogging before, right? Women weren't allowed to be flogged in the Roman Empire. They weren't even allowed to watch floggings happen. The flogging happened when you took a man and you took his his hands and you tied him up high to expose his torso to a whip that was woven with Um, pieces of broken glass or metal so you could catch chunks of skin on the backstroke. Most people didn't even survive the flogging to get to the crucifixion. They just bled out right there. The ancient historian Josephus said at one point he actually saw internal organs hanging out at the end of a flogging. Domitian, one one of the worst Roman emperors ever, evil, evil, evil man, It's said that when he saw his first flogging up close in person, he was horrified. It shook him. Couldn't get it out of his head. This was only the beginning of the physical suffering of Jesus. After his flogging, they took him back to a company of Roman soldiers. That would be 600 soldiers. And they just play with him. They toy with him. They mock him. Take a crown of thorns and shove it on his head strike him with a club, spit on him, pretend he's a king. When they're done with that gruesome game, they take him into the streets and lead him to the place of his execution. History tells us that um, criminals would be forced to carry the crossbeam through the streets to the place of crucifixion. And it could have been the blood loss. It could have been the beatings. It could have been not sleeping the night before. We don't know. But Jesus was too slow for the Roman soldiers. And so at one point, a bystander, an African, his name was Simon, was forced to carry the crossbeam for Jesus. They eventually get to the place of execution. Golgotha means the place of the skull. And we don't know if it was shaped like a skull or because it was a noted place of death and there were actually skulls on the ground. We, we, we don't know why. What we do know from history is that before Romans crucified someone, before you actually put them on the cross with nails, you shamed them by stripping them naked. Not partially naked like you see in the paintings, 
or the statues. It's hard to even imagine. It's hard to say it. But Jesus, the Son of God, is stripped naked before everyone there. Mark tells us after he's nailed to the cross, early on in that process, Jesus is offered a narcotic wine mixed with myrrh. And Jesus refuses it. He will go into this moment fully conscious, feeling everything, seeing everything. He was hung between two criminals, Roman soldiers gambling for the clothes they'd just taken off of him. Above his head hung a sign mocking him as the king of the Jews. Think about this. Read the Gospels. Think about all the times that Jesus refused